0: we enter into this time and space to join our hearts and minds together, what is it that we come here seeking? Many things, perhaps too many to mention them all, yet it is likely that some common longings draw us to be with one another, to remember what is most important in life, to be challenged to live more truly, more deeply, To live with integrity and kindness and hope and love. To feel the company of those who seek a common path. To be renewed in our faith in the promise of this life. To be strengthened and to find the courage to do what we must do, day after day, world without end. And even if your longings are different than these, you are welcome here. You are welcome, in your grief and in your joy, to be within this circle of companions. We gather here again and it is good to be together. With well, These opening words by my old chum Linda Hart, the former minister at the Richmond Unitarian Congregation, they welcome all who have gathered for this, our Sunday service. Welcome to those who are here in person at Essex Church in Kensington, and welcome to all who are joining us from far and wide via Zoom. For anyone who doesn't know me, my name's Jane Blackall and I'm Minister with Kensington Unitarians. This morning's service has the theme, Wild Things, chosen to coincide with World Wildlife Day. And the mention of World Wildlife may have you thinking about lions and tigers, pandas and giraffes. But I'm gonna steer us towards thinking about those wild creatures that we're more likely to encounter a little bit closer to home. Even here in London uh, we live alongside many other species. Some of you may have met the fox that frequents our back garden here at church. We're famously never that far from a rat or a bat or a robin or a moth or a weevil or any of our other furry, feathery, creepy crawly neighbours. So in this hour through poetry and prayer and song we'll reflect on our encounters with wild creatures. And we're going to focus on the spiritual, perhaps even the mystical aspect of these rare moments of connection with other species. These moments which perhaps can help us realise more deeply our place in the interdependent web of all life. Perhaps even to get in touch with our own wildness. Perhaps even catch a glimpse of the mystery. But before we go any further, let us take a little moment to get settled and centred and ready to worship This is an hour in which we can catch up with ourselves, be grounded and present. So just take a moment to breathe. Be here now, just as you are, in this community of the spirit, as we attend to what matters most in life. And I'm gonna light our chalice flame now as we do each time we gather. It's a simple ritual that connects us with Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists the world over and which reminds us of the proudly progressive religious tradition of which this gathering is part. We light this chalice for the web of life which sustains us, for the sacred circle of life in which we have our being. For the earth, the sky, above and below, for this precious planet we share, and for the mystery which encompasses. Time for us to sing. Our first hymn this morning is number 147 in your purple books, if you're in the church. Spirit of Earth, Root, Stone and Tree. It's a lovely earth-centered hymn, and it seems far too long since we last sang it. We don't have Benji to help us with the singing today, so let's do our best and sing up as you can. For those joining via Zoom, the words will be up on your screen as usual. Feel free to stand or sit as you prefer, hymn number 147. take all of those joys and concerns both spoken and unspoken into an extended time of prayer now this is based on some words by laura laura Horton ludwig you might want to adjust your position to get more comfortable you might want to put down anything you don't need to be holding you might want to close your eyes perhaps there's some position that helps you to feel more prayerful whatever helps you to get into the right state of body and mind for us to pray together now to be fully present with ourselves with each other, and with that which lies within us and beyond us. Spirit of life, God of all love, in whom we live and move and have our being, we turn our full attention to you, the light within and without, as we tune into the depths of this life and the greater wisdom to which and through which we are all intimately connected. Be with us now as we allow ourselves to drop into the silence and the stillness at the center of our being. Spirit of life, Spirit of earth, Spirit of all that breathes and all that is, we love you. We love this planet, our one and only home
1: and its people and all its diverse beings. We love this interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. We love it all and we want it to be blessed and well and healthy. But we are human.
0: And as a people, our hearts are still small. So often our love and our sincere desire for the well-being of all is not yet enough. To restrain our collective desire for more for ourselves, more money, more things, more power and control. So often we act in the service of that desire for more in ways that harm our fellow humans and the countless beings with whom we share this earth, despite our best intentions.
1: So often, even when
0: we would do otherwise, we feel powerless in the face of it all. The world's problems are so big, we might feel
1: despondent.
0: At this stage in history, what can we do What can one person or one small group really do
1: to change things for the better?
0: But just for today, let our prayer be one for hope. And for commitment to stay in the struggle. To do what is right as best we can each day. And to love you, spirit of earth and ocean, stars and rocks. Beings of every kind, not least our human neighbours. To love this glorious whole and to love ourselves too. For we are you and you are us. We are one. And in a few quiet moments now, let us look back over the week to take stock of it all all those cares and concerns of our own everyday lives and those concentric circles of concern that ripple ever outwards till they enfold the entire world and all those lives which touch our own. Let's take a few moments to sit quietly in prayer with whatever weighs heavy on our hearts this day Let us also take time to notice all the good that's happened in this past week. Moments of uplift and delight, beauty and pleasure. All those acts of kindness and generosity that we have known. The hopes and dreams and possibilities that are still bubbling up and reminding us that we are alive. There's lots to be grateful for. So let's take a little while longer to sit quietly in prayer and give thanks. and peace. Amen. Time to sing again. Our second hymn today is number 212 in the purple book where my free spirit onward leads. Uh, It contains the very on topic line my family is not confined to mother, mate and child but it includes all creatures be they tame or be they wild. The words will be up on screen as usual if you're joining at home. Hymn number 212.
2: The poem I'm going to read, Hairs by A.E. Stallings, is printed on the insert in your service sheets if you want to read along. In 13 years of walking the mountain path, hairs have been scarce. I've done the maths. In all this time, I've seen maybe four or five droppings I've seen that prove they're here, at the crossroads, at the turn. I picture one dished ear, swivelling left, then right, as for a satellite, while the buck sits and lifts his stone axe head, one of his sparring mitts tentatively folding towards his angular chest, alert, at rest. Partridges, or chuckers, I often run across. They take off in a ruckus, Greeks likened to flatulence, like rapidly deflating balloons. If ambulating, a matron and her brood bustle down the hill, ignoring the rude interloper, they will pretend to putter till spluttering a flutter. I'm not left agog by them but for the hare almost as big as a dog there's no way to prepare for the huge unlikelihood. By the time I've understood something drastic has happened. It bounds into the bushy mastic pursued by ghost hounds. The light's about to fail when it turns tail and the two black tips of its ears bob away to see one is to eclipse the rest of the day hairs are not born blind they are a watchful kind i am seen i bet more often than i see right now a leveret might be eyeing me wound up with alarm to start forth from its grassy form and add to the slim count of hairs I've seen on the mountain. The amount might double in 13 more years, who can say? This one leaps away.
3: The Deer by Kenneth Collier You must stand perfectly still and look like a very peculiar tree. If you move, it must look like it was the wind that blew your hand to your face. And the deer will look right back at you without moving their tails. They will look and you will think that maybe they are not really there. But then, they will move their ears, and you will know they are real. And that is what it is like. It is like the sweet, almost immovable deer. It sounds green like rain falling through leaves. It sounds blue like wind across the bay and the sea. It sounds silver and black like the sky when there is nothing left of the day but sleep and soft sounds of breathing and dreams that drift upward like smoke and disappear. It moves as slowly and carefully as a heron stepping deliberately through the still water of the pond, and it is almost silent, almost, not quite, silent like the falling snow is silent. It whispers against the window, or sings, or even hisses like a fire made of applewood hisses. Or maybe you won't know it is there until it stops, until the whispering is hushed. Maybe you won't know it is there until it is not there, and then you will long for it to return. Oh, you will long for it, like the dry grass longs for the rain and all you can do is be still and wait. But do not worry and do not hurry, for the clouds will gather eventually and the rain will fall with a rattle into the grass. The whisper will return like the deer that moved its ear, and you will sigh a long, sweet sigh and know that it is there the throaty sound of knowledge, the sudden splash of understanding washes over you like a waterfall, like starlight, like a dream that makes the day come alive. And you will know it in the little daily things, the smell of coffee, the touch of hands, the sound of light falling on grass, the taste of air after rain. You will know it and never forget. But maybe you ask, what is this thing? What is it that moves silently as snow? And what shall I answer? It is nothing but the deer.
4: Thank
0: you, Hannah, and thank you, Brian. and. Um, I think Janina's let the people at home know the text of the whole service is on our website. I know poems often require a second read to really absorb so you can reread them all again on there. So we're moving into a time of meditation now. I'm gonna share one more short poem, this one by Jane Hirschfield, to take us into the time of shared stillness and silence. The poem is titled Three Foxes by the Edge of the Field at Twilight and it's another one which perhaps hints at the mystical aspect of encounters with wildness. This will take us into three minutes of silence and maybe during this time of silence you might call to mind your own encounters with wild creatures. The silence will end with a bell and then we'll hear some more music for meditation. So again let's do what we need to do to get comfortable you might want to put down anything you don't need to be holding. You might want to put your feet flat on the floor to ground and steady yourself. The words are just an offering. You can use this time to meditate in your own way. Three Foxes at the Edge of the Field at Twilight by Jane Hirschfield. One ran, her nose to the ground, a rusty shadow, neither hunting nor playing. One stood, sat, lay down, stood again. One never moved, except to turn her head a little as we walked. Finally, we drew too close, and they vanished. The woods took them back as if they had never been. I wish I had thought to put my face to the grass. But we kept walking speaking as strangers do when becoming friends. There is more and more I tell no one, strangers nor loves. This slips into the heart without hurry as if it had never been. And yet among the trees something has changed. Something looks back from the trees and knows me for who I am. Thank you. I don't know how many of you have read Annie Dillard's wonderful book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. It tells of Dillard's explorations close to home near the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. It's a few years since I last read it. It's a much lauded piece of nature writing, though to describe it in that way doesn't really do it justice. It's a deeply religious, theological, philosophical text in its own way. The excerpt of that book that I want to share with you today, um, it's an abridged selection, but still quite an extended reading. It's her reflection on stalking a muskrat, not for the purpose of doing it any harm, but to get close to this small creature, which is a bit like a small beaver and to commune with it. So this is what she writes. I have seen many muskrats since I learned to look for them in that part of the creek. But still I seek them out in the cool of the evening. And still I hold my breath when rising ripples surge from under the creek's bank. The great hurrah about wild animals is that they exist at all. And the greater hurrah is the actual moment of seeing them. Because they have a nice dignity and prefer to have nothing to do with me, even as the simple objects of my vision. They show me by their very wariness. What a prize it is, simple to, simply to open my eyes and behold. The wonderful thing about muskrats in my book is that they cannot see very well and are rather dim to boot. They're extremely wary if they know I'm there and they will outweigh me every time. But with a modicum of skill and a minimal loss of human dignity, such as it is, I can be right there. And the breathing fact of my presence will never penetrate their narrow skulls. In the 40 minutes I watched him, he never saw me, smelled me, or heard me at all. When he was in full view, of course, I had never moved except to breathe. My eyes would move following his, but he never noticed. Only once, when he was feeding from the opposite bank, about eight feet away from me, did he suddenly rise upright, all alert. And then he immediately resumed foraging, but he never knew I was there. And I never knew I was there either. For that 40 minutes, I was as purely sensitive and mute as a photographic plate. I received impressions, but did not print out captions. My own self-awareness had disappeared. It seems now almost as though I'd, had I been wired with electrodes, my EEG would have been flat. I've done this sort of thing so often. That I have lost self-consciousness about moving slowly and halting suddenly. It is second nature to me now. And I've often noticed that even a few minutes of this self-forgetfulness is tremendously invigorating. I wonder if we do not just waste most of our energy by spending every waking minute saying hello to ourselves. Martin Buber quotes an old Hasid master who said, When you walk across the fields with your mind pure and holy then from all stones and all growing things and all animals, the sparks of the soul come out and cling to you. And then they are purified and become a holy fire in you. This is one way of describing the energy that comes. I've tried to show muskrats to other people, but it rarely works. No matter how how quiet we are, the muskrats stay hidden. Maybe they sense the tense hum of human consciousness, the buzz from two human beings who in the silence cannot help but be aware of each other, and so of themselves. Then too, the other people invariably suffer from a self-consciousness that prevents them from stalking well. And it used to bother me too. I could not bear to lose so much dignity that I would completely alter my whole way of being for a muskrat. So I would move or look around or scratch my nose and no muskrats would show, leaving me alone with my dignity for days on end until I decided it was worth my while to learn from the muskrats themselves how to stalk. For stalking is a pure form of skill, rarely is luck involved. I do it right or I do it wrong and the muskrat will tell me and that right early. At every second the muskrat comes or stays or goes according to my skill. Can I stay still? How still? It is astonishing how many people cannot or will not hold still. I could not or would not hold still for 30 minutes at home. But at the creek, I slow down, centre down, empty. I am not excited. My breathing is slow and regular. In my brain, I am not saying muskrat, muskrat, there. I am saying nothing. If I must hold a position, I do not freeze. If I freeze, locking my muscles, I will tire and break. Instead of going rigid, I go calm. I centre down wherever I am, I find a balance and repose. I retreat, not inside myself, but outside myself so that I am a tissue of senses. Whatever I see is plenty, abundance. I am the skin of water, the wind plays over. I am petal, feather, stone. Words from Annie Dillard's wonderful Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. I really recommend it if you haven't read it. So I wonder, as you've heard all of today's readings of the encounters with the hare, the deer, the foxes, and now the muskrat, I wonder if any wild encounters of your own have come to mind. I've been lucky enough as a part-time bird watcher to experience many magic moments with wild creatures over the years. I recall quite some years ago now the excitement of discovering a hedgehog in my back garden. In fact, I remember hearing it before seeing it, the little snuffling noise in the dark caught my attention first of all. I remember feeding the birds in Kensington Gardens, um, having robins and tits land on my outstretched hand, even a cold tit once, and they're notoriously shy. I have the sense memory of the little talons pressing down as they landed on my fingertips. I think of the time on a nature reserve in Walberswick when I came eye to eye with a weasel, making eye contact for just a fraction of a second, but that sense of making a connection with a truly wild creature is unforgettable. Just this week, I had an encounter with a wildish creature and there is photographic evidence that Ramona's gonna share I was minding my own business, having a chat with my charm on a park bench when a squirrel primed up my leg and sat on my knee. He put his little hand on mine and adopted a pleading pose. I'd already eaten my sandwich, so I didn't have anything to give him. Now, this is not the first time I've been accosted by one of the squirrels of Mudshute Farm. This city farm is near where I live. And I walk there often, it's almost comical how. A squirrel appears from every every tree and bounds towards you at high speed as if it's aiming to run straight up your leg and to cost you for whatever it is you've got in your rucksack. They always come expecting food because a lot of people feed them. Sometimes they come up the back of the bench and tap you on the shoulder. It's easy to be blasé about squirrels, it's fairly easy to treat them as a nuisance. I'm certainly getting a bit fed up of them digging up my bulbs in the back garden. But I had a little moment with this particular squirrel. After putting his tiny little hand on mine and looking pleadingly into my eyes, he stretched out to my other knee, presumably to see if I was hiding food in the other hand. And as he did so, I felt his soft belly brush the back of my hand. It was a magic moment. I think if I'd gone up to a squirrel and attempted to give it a belly rub of my own initiative, I wouldn't have got very far. But I enjoyed the gift, the unexpected gift of this brief moment of intimacy with a wildish creature. Now, wild encounters don't normally fall into our lap like this. We often have to go to a lot of trouble to be where the wild things are. We have to go gently. We have to be extraordinarily careful not to scare them off, because in the main, they are rightly wary of us human beings. And all these poems we've heard today have have, uh, underlined that in 13 years of walking the mountain paths hairs have been scarce we drew too close and they vanished you must stand perfectly still and look like a very peculiar tree and i am seen i bet more often than i see as annie dillard says you're better off going alone becoming very still very calm And all this is part of what makes it so astonishing and enthralling on those rare occasions when we do at last get our close encounter with the hare or the deer or the fox or the muskrat or the squirrel. It probably won't have escaped your notice that there are many parallels between this practice of wild encounters and the spiritual life. Indeed, the photographer and animal tracker, Paul Rosenders has written, I teach stalking wildlife in nature as a form of meditation At its core, stalking has more to do with stillness than with movement. It is about slowing down and blending in. It is the ability to melt into the forest. Stalking allows people to drop their everyday persona until the forest no longer realises that they're there. When you become the forest, when you're silent inwardly and outwardly, the forest starts to wake up, to move. And it's amazing what can happen. Words from Paul Resendez. So I feel there's some deeper mystical truth wrapped up in all this, this talk of becoming the forest from Resendez, the self forgetting from Annie Dillard, the mind pure and holy from Buber and his Hasidic texts. Maybe it's more than having an encounter with one particular wild creature, more about having an experience of oneness, sense that we're ultimately not separate from any wild creature from nature itself from the landscape from anything in the whole universe a kind of non-dual awareness and i reckon there's something similar going on in our prayer and meditation we show up we practice we do our best to be still and calm and self-forgetting and maybe a lot of the time there doesn't seem to be much to show for it but once in a while five times in 13 years or whatever it was with the hares. Once in a while, if we're diligent in our practice or lucky or both, we might just catch a glimpse of the wild mystery. So as we draw to a close, I wanna offer just one more short poem which speaks of exactly this. Some of you will probably have heard me share this before, it's an old favourite, by Anne Lewin, watching for the Kingfisher. Prayer is like watching for the Kingfisher.
1: All you can do is be there where he is likely to
0: appear and wait. Often nothing much happens. There is space, silence and expectancy. No visible signs. Only the knowledge that he's been there and may come again. Seeing or not seeing cease to matter. You've been prepared. But when you've almost stopped expecting it, A flash of brightness gives encouragement. Make me so, for the greater good of all. Amen. One last hymn. Our final hymn today is number 216 in your purple books, Wide Green World. It speaks of our place in the interdependent web of all life. Hymn number 216. few announcements then uh, thank you to ramona for tech hosting thanks to janine for co-hosting at home and welcoming everyone online thanks to brian and hannah for reading thanks to holly and george for our lovely music today uh, thanks to liz and juliet f- for coffee and greeting in some order for those of you who are here in person please do stay behind for a chat we've got homemade coffee and walnut cake on offer served in the hall next door if you join in on zoom please do hang around for a chat with Janine. This afternoon we've got our in-person mini retreat on the stories of our lives as I mentioned that's from one till four it's not too late to sign up for that if you still want to join us I've got enough materials for a few more people pop out and get some lunch and make sure you're back here by one we've got our regular heart and soul contemplative spiritual gathering tonight and Friday at seven o'clock this week's theme is changes we gather for sharing and prayer for about an hour and a half and it's a really good way to get to connect with others on a deeper level email me to book your place for that Wednesday night we've got the in-person poetry group Brian's in charge have a word with him if you want to know more let him have your poems so that he can print out copies for everyone to see and Sonia's dance class will go on as usual on Friday lunchtime if you want to join our Better World Book Club uh, that takes place online anyone's welcome to join the next one will be on Sunday the 24th of March at half past seven when we'll be talking about laziness does not exist by Devon Price I think I've got one church copy left, if someone wants to borrow it. And a date for your diaries. We're going to celebrate the 250th anniversary of this congregation on Sunday the 14th of April. Uh, Me and Sarah will be co-leading a special service that day, and there'll be a congregational bring and share lunch after. Uh, Save the date and look out for Liz with a clipboard at some point, so that you can sign up with her about what food you're going to bring along for the bring and share lunch afterwards. Next Sunday at 11, our good friend Michael Allure, minister with Golders Green, Unitarians, will be leading the service on the theme, let justice roll down like waters. So come and support him if you can. And that'll be followed by an in-person Sunday conversation exploring the service theme. Um, we have got the message that a number of our online regulars are interested in joining in with those uh, Sunday conversations. So we're gonna work on making those hybrid, but in reality, it'll probably be sometime after the 250th anniversary because we need to get our tech in order all these activities are listed on the back of your order of service all the details are in our friday email so if you haven't yet signed up for the mailing list do get on that the congregation very much has a life beyond sunday mornings so we encourage you to keep in touch look out for each other and do what you can to nurture supportive connections i think that's everything just time for our closing words and closing music in our lives may we know the holy meaning the mystery that can break through in any moment. May we live at peace with our world and all its wild creatures, including ourselves, as we seek justice, liberation, and the common good of all with whom we share this earth. And may love and truth guide us through all the days of our lives. Amen. Thank mm-hmm. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.